I thank God for all who have led us so beautifully in worship today. For the season of Lent, we are beginning a new sermon series called Last Words from the Cross. Each Sunday in Lent, and then also at our Maundy Thursday service, we will be looking at one of Jesus' seven famous last sayings as he was dying on the cross. Today, I want to draw your attention to Luke 23. I'll read verses 32 through 34 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of the sermon is, The First Word from the Cross. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. Let us pray. Oh God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. The state of Minnesota has a board of pardons consisting of the Attorney General, the Chief Justice, and the Governor. Convicted lawbreakers have 10 minutes to petition these three officials for a pardon. While no offenders have the right to a pardon, while no offenders are in any position to expect a pardon, there is a chance that grace will prevail at these particular proceedings. In recent years, for example, an Uber driver convicted of attacking her estranged husband did not receive a pardon, but a music teacher convicted of embezzling funds from her former employer did receive a pardon. Journalist Dan Barry tells the story of a man named Jim Lorgie who was recently eligible for a pardon in Minnesota. Mr. Lorgie was convicted of manufacturing meth back in 2005. When his appointment with the Board of Pardons finally arrived, Mr. Lorgie had been in recovery for 16 years. He had become a respected drug counselor, and he was also engaged to be married. Still, he worried that his past transgressions might besmirch him forever before entering the room to make his plea to the Board of Pardons. Mr. Lorgi said to someone, do I have to carry this burden forever? I want to be forgiven. I just want to be forgiven. Countless are the souls who have shared the same deep-seated desire. I just want to be forgiven. 
the experience of committing a personal sin, a moral mess-up, a relational gaffe, a legal trespass, an unintentional mistake, or an egregious error is so very widespread. In fact, according to Scripture, it's universal. The Old Testament says in 1 Kings 8, there is no one who does not sin. The New Testament says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The crucifixion of Jesus represents the apex of human sinfulness. He was betrayed by one of his followers. He was arrested on bogus charges. He was disowned by a close friend. He was falsely accused by detractors. He was subjected to a phony trial. He was beaten and mocked, blindfolded and mistreated, bad-mouthed and mischaracterized. Although he was found not guilty, he was sentenced to die all the same. He was hatefully tormented, publicly humiliated, and fastened to a cross to be viciously executed. Once elevated on the cross, Jesus would have been expected to unleash a barrage of verbal wrath. It was routine for victims of crucifixion back then to shout for vengeance, curse the onlookers, and pronounce condemnation on the crucifiers. The first word from the cross was supposed to be a linguistic lashing of the opposition. Even a holy man like Jesus could have quoted Psalm 5, make them bear their guilt, O God. He could have quoted Psalm 11, on the wicked he will rain coals of fire and sulfur. He could have quoted Psalm 69, pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. The first word from the cross might have been a word of rage or retaliation, a word of curse or condemnation. The first word from the cross might have been, Father, punish them or Father, demolish them, or Father, crush them, or Father, make them pay, or Father, visit judgment upon them tenfold. Yet Jesus' first word from the cross was, Father, forgive them. Amid his own ignominious suffering and the people's egregious wrongdoing, the first word from the cross was a word of forgiveness. Amid his own unjust execution and the people's vile corruption, the first word from the cross was a word of pardon. Amid the expectation for him to lambast the authorities, berate the executioners, and castigate the mob that had precipitated his unspeakable fate, the first word from the cross was unexpectedly a word of grace, a word of favor, a word of mercy. Perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised because Jesus practiced and promoted forgiveness throughout the course of his public ministry. 
In Luke 5, he said to the man with paralysis, your sins are forgiven. In Luke 7, he said of the sinful woman, her sins, while they are many, have been forgiven. In Luke 11, he told his disciples to pray for God to forgive them as they forgive others. In Luke 17, he taught his disciples to forgive others when they sin against them. And in Luke 6, Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is exactly what he's doing on the cross. He's loving his adversaries. He's returning good for evil. He's offering blessing for curse. And he's praying for those who persecute him. Specifically, he prays for God to forgive them. The Greek term rendered forgive means to let go or to release. Jesus did not ask the Father to excuse sin or to shrug at sin. He asked the Father to let it go, to not hold on to it. He asked the Father to release their offense and reach for relationship with the people. Since all people sin, Forgiveness is the price of relationship. Ask anyone who's been married. Ask anyone who has parented children. Ask anyone who has grown up with a sibling. Ask anybody who's played for an athletic team. Ask anybody who's worked with the same group of people throughout their uh, career. Forgiveness is essential because human flaws are inevitable. While forgiveness can occur outside the context of a relationship, forgiveness often involves letting go of the offense and clinging to the relationship rather than clinging to the offense and letting go of the relationship. Remarkably, this is what Jesus asked of the Father, to cling to relationship with the wayward people despite their prodigious sinfulness. What's more, this prayer is voiced while the people are unjustly executing Jesus with no discernible sign of remorse. Those for whom Jesus prayed were unknowing of their sin, uncaring about his pain, and unexpressive of any repentance. Don't they need to be set straight rather than forgiven? Don't they need to be condemned rather than pardoned? Doesn't mercy for the unrepentant function to condone and maybe even encourage their misconduct? To the contrary, forgiveness has potential to inspire remorse, repentance, and reform. The Jesuit scholar James Martin recounts the story of an attorney named Jean whose family fell victim to a terrible crime. 
The offender was apprehended, tried, convicted, and imprisoned, yet stubbornly denied his guilt and displayed no hint of remorse for the harm he had inflicted. Jean was a Christian, accustomed to hearing the words of John's gospel in worship, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Deeply internalizing these words and pondering them in her heart, Jean determined that we shouldn't take someone's sin and freeze it, nor should we punish the person eternally. So she forgave the man who had caused so much pain to her family. Sometime later, it occurred to Jean that although she had forgiven the man, she had never expressed her forgiveness to him. So she wrote to him in prison and told him that she had forgiven him. In response, he unexpectedly wrote her a letter filled with remorse. You're right, he said. I am guilty. I also want to take this opportunity to express my deepest condolences and apologize to you. It appears that forgiveness liberated him to be both transparent and repentant. When forgiveness is extended preemptively to wrongdoers like this, it's called grace. Grace is goodwill to those of ill will. Grace is favor to the undeserving. Grace is blessing for those who curse. Grace is love for those who sin. Grace is the heart of the gospel because God loves us before we love God. Christ comes to us before we come to Christ and divine forgiveness is offered to us before we repent, not because we repent. While crucified in agony, while inflicted with injustice, while abused by shameless sinners, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. But who exactly is he praying for? Who is the them in, Father, forgive them? So many people were involved in his death that it's difficult to pin down the reference. The officers of the temple police arrested him in Gethsemane. The chief priests, elders, and scribes brought him to their council. A group of men beat him and mocked him. Herod and his soldiers treated him contemptuously and sent him back to Pilate. Pilate condemned him to crucifixion despite having found him not guilty. The execution squad fixed him to the beam and elevated him on the cross. The multitudes shouted scorn and made a mockery of him. On whose behalf is Jesus asking forgiveness? Historically speaking, the Romans executed Jesus. But theologically speaking, we are all implicated in the crucifixion. The ambiguity of the word them gathers the entire mass of humanity into its meaning. We are all represented 
and the crowds that cried, crucify him. Romans 5 declares that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thus, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, he means for God to forgive us. Them means us. This can be difficult to process since we live in an us versus them kind of world, but it's important to realize that anytime there's a sinful them, there is also a sinful us. The line between sin and righteousness does not run between different groups of people. It runs right through the center of every human heart. This passage provides a prescription to heal an us versus them mentality because in this passage, them is us and us is them. Both are sinners and both are offered forgiveness. Father, forgive them is not just Father, forgive the execution squad or Father, forgive the Romans or Father, forgive the religious leaders or Father, forgive the onlookers. It's Father, forgive humanity. The good news is that Jesus' prayer from the cross is answered. Indeed, his death attains the very forgiveness for which he asks. The previous night at supper, Jesus had taken a cup and had said to his disciples, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus saw his death as a sacrifice inaugurating a new covenant between God and humanity based on the forgiveness of sins. On the cross, therefore, Jesus is announcing the same forgiveness that his death is achieving. He's articulating the same forgiveness that his death is accomplishing his speech and actions are one his word and work are one his saying and doing are one in his death said baptist pastor carlisle marney the word became deed yes god forgives us not despite the death of christ but because of it the same crucifixion that exemplifies human sinfulness simultaneously exudes divine forgiveness. As Paul wrote to the Romans, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Grace abounds because the first word from the cross is a word of forgiveness, and it's the only word from the cross that Jesus repeats. The Greek verb appears here in the imperfect tense, signaling a repeated action in the past. It's not the case that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, but rather that Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. The people kept doing wrong, 
And Jesus kept praying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. We continued in sin and Jesus continued in grace. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. We persisted in misconduct and Jesus persisted in mercy. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. If anyone in all of history could be justified in withholding forgiveness, it would be Jesus on the cross. Yet he amplifies forgiveness. He magnifies forgiveness, repeating it over and over again. Although the crucifiers are still unrepentant, he's already forgiving. Although the crucifiers are still sinful, he's already merciful. Although the crucifiers are still wayward, he's already gracious. Father, Forgive them, he said, for they do not know what they're doing. We still don't know what we're doing, but at least we know what Christ was doing. The first word from the cross is forgiveness. The only word repeated from the cross is forgiveness. And the word that still resounds from the cross is forgiveness. As for Mr. Lorgie, the felon who was hoping for a pardon, the man who worried his transgressions might mar him forever, the guy who said, I just want to be forgiven. He stood before the Board of Pardons and pleaded his case. And when his ten minutes were up and he heard their decision, he walked out into the hallway to dry his eyes. His fiancée, his teenage son, and his mother were all there hugging him tightly. And as they walked out of the building together into the sunshine, Mr. Lorgie began to send the same text message to lots of different people that he knows. It simply said, I got the pardon. God sent me to tell you that through Christ, so did we. Let go of your past mistakes through faith. And you'll find that God has already let go. Let go of your previous sins through faith. And you'll find that God is already moving you forward. Let God's forgiveness be yours through faith. And you'll find freedom for abundant life. God is more interested in holding on to a relationship with you than holding on to your trespasses. Through Christ's words, Father, forgive them. We got the pardon. Through his death for our sins, we got the pardon. Through his extravagant grace, we got the pardon. Through his magnificent mercy, we got the pardon. Through his steadfast love, we got the pardon. Through his self-giving sacrifice, we got the pardon. Through his abundant compassion, we got 
the pardon. Through his unbending faithfulness, we got the pardon. Through his words and his work, we got the pardon. Through his speech and his action, we got the pardon. Through what he said and what he did, we got the pardon. We are forgiven, released from guilt, turned loose from shame, set free from sin, and let go from past mistakes so that we might walk in the way of Christ and share with others this marvelous divine forgiveness and mercy and grace that has saved our souls. Amen. If you have never put your faith in Christ and received the abundant forgiveness of God, won't you come forward this morning during our final hymn? If you would like to be baptized in coming weeks or if you would like to join the Second Baptist Church of Richmond as a member of our family of faith, I warmly invite you to come forward and speak with me during this final hymn or if you just want to pray or sing praise right where you are, let us respond now as the Holy Spirit leads.